So good to see you today. Well, one. I appreciate the one person that's, that's nice, okay. You can talk back during the sermon if you want, okay. We are finishing today the book of Philippians, all right? Uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible. The theme, the theme of Philippians is joy, okay, glad you know that, all right, joy, how to get it and how to keep it. Uh, now, as I was looking in this passage in the last chapter, in chapter 4, I noticed uh, several things. And one of the things is that there are things that all of us face in life, all right? We all, we all face these things. And they have the capacity to bring great joy to our life or great grief. A lot of happiness or a lot of heartache, okay? And the, the reality is that actually those, these things will do both. Bring some grief, bring some joy. Now... One of the things, obviously, is family, right? I mean, family, there's often a lot of joy that we experience in that, but sometimes there's grief, isn't there? Now, Paul chose to end this book on joy with the second, what I believe is probably the second major thing that brings either joy or grief, heartache or happiness, and that's our finances, now, there are a lot of people who just, they don't think that, you know, we should preach about money, that that's such a personal, private thing. Uh, I grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia, and Thomas Jefferson, you know, of course, that was his home, so I learned a lot about Thomas Jefferson. He had many wonderful qualities, but he also had uh, some things of great concern, and one of the things is when he would read the Bible, and if he came to something that he didn't agree with, he just cut it out of the Bible. And uh, there have been times when I wanted to do that, too, you know, just I'm doing a book of study and just, well, let's just cut that out, okay? And, friend, I just have to say to you that, you know, a, a, a preacher who doesn't speak about finance, it's just, you're just like Thomas Jefferson, we're just cutting that out. Because there are so many passages in the Bible about our finances. God says a lot about how we handle our money. Uh, 18 out of Jesus' 30 prover uh, proverbs or parables, excuse me, were about money, how we earn it, how we keep it, how we invest it, how we save it. Now, and why is that? Why does the Bible say so much? There, there are whole courses that you can take on finance. It's just many, 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 many principles gleaned from all throughout God's Word. Why does God say so much about money? Because it's a big deal for us, isn't it? I mean, you know, our life, we're, we're spending so many hours making it and, and, and spending it and investing it and using it and all those things. I mean, it's a huge part of our life. In fact, Jesus' number one topic, you know, without a doubt, was love the Lord your God and love others as you love yourself. His number two topic was money. That seemed to be one of his favorite topics. I wish Jesus' favorite topic was one of my, wasn't one of my least favorite topics to speak on, okay? Our finances. And Paul's going to close this book saying, you know, you can find a lot of joy in your finances. 
Now, the reality is a lot of people find a lot of grief in their finances. Death, the problems, all that comes, worry, fear, conflict, uh, families broken apart. I heard stories this week of families, you know, there was some estate settlement, and they're not speaking to each other anymore. See, that's a reality. Uh, when I was my first in our first church, I was a youth pastor, and we took uh, the students on a, a, a retreat. And this was actually a uh, a ranch. They had horses, and so kids could ride, you know, during the day. And the owner of the retreat center said, "Hey, you like to ride?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, I'll tell you what. After the kids are done, you know, in the evening before sunset, he says we'll go out. I get the two best horses, and we'll go out." So I met him at the appointed time, and we, I, he had a really beautiful horse picked out, and so we rode up the top of this hill, and we're looking around at just the sunset and the gorgeous scenery and all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden, the horse that I was on took off. He was going back to the stable. He had, he had clocked out, you know, he had put in his day, and he did not want to go. And I'm pulling on the reins like crazy. And the, afterwards, the owner said, he said, you know, a horse can take that bit and get it in his teeth. And you can pull all you want. It doesn't matter. Well, anyway, we're going down this hill, all right? And he is headed straight for a tree. A tree that has branches about six feet off the ground. Low enough for him to go under, but not me. And I'm seeing this. This is, this is like 30 seconds of me seeing this. And he headed straight for that tree. He ducked. I tried. I didn't make it. I hit, that, I hit a limb, and I fell off the horse. And I died. I just, I didn't. <laughs> no, obviously I didn't. I, w I wasn't even hurt. But I, w I remember waking up on the ground. Wow. And I went and looked at the branch. You know, it was about, it was about that thick, all right? Uh, it, it, that broke, okay? Thankfully, it, my back didn't, but, but the branch did. And friend, I just want to say to you that money is like that horse. Money, God made it <laughs> to take you where you want to go. But it has the power to take you where you don't want to go. Into debt into worry, into fear, into family conflict, all those things. So that's why Paul finishes up his book on joy in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 23, on how to have joy instead of grief in your finances. This passage, before we read, this passage, uh, last paragraph, so, so to speak, of Philippians, has two of the most favorite verses in the Bible. Two of the most quoted, two of the most loved verses in the Bible. I bet many of you have memorized these. Philippians chapter 4, the first one, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Right? You know that verse. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm just wondering this morning. Because I didn't, okay? How many of you realize 
that those two verses we love so much are in a passage about money. I never saw that. That's the context. He wants, Paul wants the Philippians to have joy in their financial dealings, okay, the financial matters. And those two promises, those two great truths that we love so much, it's in the context of our finances. So, Philippians 4.19. Let's just start there. Then we're going to go back to verse 10. But Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all your needs. He will. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, that verse can really be misunderstood. Because it's just human nature for us to think that, you know, God could solve all our problems if he just, if he just gave us some more money. I mean, it, and... That that would be the greatest thing that could happen to us. You know, if we won the lottery or something, you know, we suddenly got a lot of money, okay, to take care of the, the problems and the need. Now, why hasn't God done that? Probably for the same reason that a wise father would not give a 13-year-old $10 million and say, do whatever you want. That 13-year-old is not going to have the maturity and the wisdom and the self-control to use that money wisely. And, you know, in many ways, some of us, doesn't matter how old we are, some of us are still kind of like uh, teenagers uh, with regard to our finances. We're not, we're not handling the money that God has given to us in the way that God tells us to handle it. You see, we have a part to play in that promise. It's not just a, okay, oh, I got a need. God, supply all my needs. You know, we have a part to play in this. There are things that God tells us to do so that then his promise here becomes a reality in our life. And he does meet all our needs. And just one more thing before we read Paul's life. Paul's the writer. Paul, for the first half of his life, Paul was very, very rich and very, very miserable. Then Paul met Jesus. Then Paul learned how to do finances God's way. And he starts out in verse 10, I rejoice greatly. Now, and where was Paul when he wrote this? In prison. Was Paul still wealthy? No. In fact, probably didn't have anything but the clothes on his back. I rejoice greatly. And, and we're all we're smart enough to know that money does, can't make us happy. Okay. All right. And it's not how much we have that makes that determines how much joy we have. So in Philippians 4 here, he wants the people in Philippi that he's talking to, and he wants us to have joy in our finance. And he gives us five, there are five principles here. There are thousands in the Bible. There are five financial joy givers. If you want joy in your financial matters. And the first one's in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you, the Philippians, Renew your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
And we're not exactly sure why they didn't have an opportunity or anything. But that's not the main point of the verse. The joy, joy giver number one, know what it is? Concern. Concern. Concern for others. Uh, Jean Piaget was a uh, psychologist and sociologist. He studied children, fascinated with children, and, and why they responded as they did so differently than when we grow up, okay? Uh, one of the things uh, he discovered was that children really don't have uh, the, a strong cognitive ability to think about others, to feel what others are thinking, to think what others are thinking, so forth. Because, you know, they're kind of in their little world, and they're kind of wrapped up in themselves. Uh, why do we have to teach children to share? Okay? There's a rule. That's what you have to do. You have to teach children to share. They're not really thinking about the needs of others. But the more mature you become, the more you care. He said, a mark of maturity is concern for others. Mark of immaturity is being self-consumed, consumed with self. And friend, that's true. Mature people, they care. They care for others. And they share with others. But the immature, immature people, they just only think about themselves and, and they consume for themselves. And Paul experienced joy because the Philippians gave to him. He experienced the joy of receiving. But the Philippians experienced the joy of giving out of their concern for Paul and their concern that God's work be able to continue. You see, God's a giver. And God designed us to be givers. God designed us to care about others. And when we care, we give. And when we do, that brings joy. A concern for others, a concern for lost people. Lost, that sounds kind of really, kind of like a put down. You know, I don't walk up to people who don't know the Lord and say, you are lost. All right. But Jesus used that term a lot, a lost person. What do you mean? He meant someone that is not on the right path. That they weren't following him to heaven. They, they were lost. Okay. They were going the wrong direction. So why did the Philippians give to Paul? Because Paul shared the gospel with them and saved them from a Christless eternity. And so they gave so that Paul could continue to go and to tell others beside themselves. And you see, that brings joy. Not giving is not going to give you the joy that God designed us to experience. And a lot of people don't give to church. They say, well, the church doesn't need my money. I mean, you know, they have a nice building and they have programs and stuff. And, you know, they don't need my money. We need your money to carry out our mission, to share the good news with other people. That does take finances. And, and Kristen, you want to go to heaven. And I want to tell you this, that when you get to heaven, you will want to see people there that you helped get there. You, you, you shared, you had a concern for them, and, and you helped them come to know Christ through your witness to them, through your prayers, through your service, and through your giving. You see, that's going to be, you're going to find out that's the greatest investment you made here on earth, was in the lives of others. Three or four years ago, uh, a neighbor said to us, uh, 
you know, we'd like to come to your church. We'd like to visit your church. She said, she said how much does it cost? She actually was from Europe where there was a state church, and they actually had to pay taxes to the church. About six months ago, Donna's friend uh, said, well, how much do you have to pay to go to your church? Because her congregation sends out bills to people to let them know what their fair share is in supporting the church, okay? And friend, one of our core values here is we get to give. We get to give. And friends, we don't ever want to come off like we're begging, like we're demanding, okay? Giving to God is a privilege. We get to do this. We get to give, and that money can be turned into someone coming to know Jesus Christ. That, that money can be turned into a family that's maybe broken apart by conflict and pain, experiencing the healing power of Jesus in their life. We get to give to something like that. Concern for others. If we keep all our money for ourselves, we won't have the joy that God wants to give to us. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 12. He said this, beware, watch out. He said, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? <laughs> I don't have enough room. And then he said, I know. I'll tell to tear down these puny barns here. I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have room up enough to store all my wheat and all the other goods. He was building his nest egg, his portfolio. We don't build bigger barns. And then I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you, me, you have enough stored away for years, more than you'll ever need. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You see, that's being self-consumed. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for and stored up? And here's the point. A person is a fool, Jesus said, to store up all this earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And you may not feel rich. You may not be tearing down your barns and building bigger barns. But you know, if, if you're an American, you're rich compared to the rest of the world. And let's be rich toward God. Let's be rich in things that really matter. Give so that others can be rescued and go to heaven with you. One of the principles we saw in Philippians is that we often get joy in the very things we don't think will give us joy. Okay? Like a conflict. Now, we don't want a conflict. But we can actually come to find joy in resolving that God's way. See, that, that's just an example. 
Giving can be another thing. We think, well, wait, wait a minute, I don't have enough to give. Man, if I give, then I'm really going to be in trouble. I'm not going to have enough. And we think that we'll get more joy if we get more money. When God says the opposite, we'll get more joy if we give more back to him. You see, joy comes from generosity. The word miserable. What's the root of that word? Miser. Keeping it for ourselves. Concern. Concern for others. Concern for the kingdom of God. Concern for lost people. Let's move on. Verse 11. Paul says, okay, you've given me this gift. And I'm not thanking you. I'm not saying this because I'm in need and I want you to give more. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in poverty, in plenty, or in want. And there's the second thing. There's the second joy giver, contentment. Contentment. Being thankful for what God has already given to us. And he says, I've learned the secret of being content. Why, why, do you have, why is contentment something you have to learn? Why is it a secret? Because it's not normal human instinct to be content. We, we think we'll be happier if we get more of something. A survey was done a few years ago, and they asked people, how much money would you need to make as a salary uh, to be content? Those making twenty to $25,000 at the low end of the scale, they said if they made forty to fifty, they they'd be content. Those who were making forty to fifty said, well, if I was making eighty to a hundred, then I'd be content. And those who were making eighty to a hundred thousand said, well, I'd need a hundred ninety or two hundred thousand to really make it and to be content. It, I thought it was interesting that they all doubled the salary. You know, whatever they were making, they said, well, if I had twice as much, then I'd be content. All right? And someone has said that, that money is like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get, okay? And that can be true. And Paul, see, he's writing from his own experience. He was once very, very wealthy and very, very miserable. And so when he wrote there in verse 10, I rejoice greatly. Right now, I am rejoicing greatly. Where was he? Chained to a Roman guard in prison. You see, contentment does not come from your circumstance. We think, if I had better circumstance, I'd be content. No, it doesn't come from circumstances. Paul said, I had to learn to be content, whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor. And we live in a, in a culture of uh, discontent. Every commercial you see tells you not to be content with what you have. That you need this too. You need this, okay? I heard a story about a, a rich uh, entrepreneur, a businessman. He was actually speaking in a, a downtown convention. Uh, he presented and and lunch was, uh, it was lunch break, and so he decided to walk down by the waterfront. And he saw this middle-aged man there, young, still working age. And his boat was tied to the dock, and he was just sitting there in the chair. And, 
And he said, well, uh, the uh, businessman said, well, why aren't you still fishing? And the guy said, well, I caught all I need. And he said, well, why don't you go catch more? And the guy said, well, why? He said, well, then you could sell them and make some money. And he said, well, why, why do I want to sell them and make more money? He said, well, then you can buy a bigger boat. <laughs> and he said, well, why do I need a bigger boat? He said, well, then you could buy a whole fleet of boats. You know, you get people working for you. You could be rich. You could have your face on a can of tuna or something, you know, okay? <laughs> and he said, well, why would I want that? He said, well, then you could retire early and you could relax and rest. And the guy said, that's what I'm doing right now. And, and friends, the Bible doesn't tell you not to be industrious, not to invest and increase your business and your income and all that. It's telling us, don't believe the lie that more money will give you more joy. Because it won't. And Jesus wants to give us a joy that's not tied to our portfolio, our salary, our whatever. Jesus said he wanted to give a joy that the world can't give. And what's the second part of that? It's a joy that the world can't take away. That's the key. That's the key. Let's move on. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now there's joy giver number three. It's confidence. Confidence not in ourselves. Confidence in Christ and his promise to take care of us. Now some people, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now a lot of us know that that is not a blanket statement. I can do all things. Okay, now I can slam dunk because Christ will give me strength to do that. Is that going to happen? Never, okay. That's not what it means, obviously. But we, uh, you know, Christ here, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to give you the strength you need to do what I've asked you to do. And in this passage, what's it about? It's about trusting God, and it's about our finances, and it's about in our giving. And see, that's really, that's really key for us because you know, a lot of us, we, we hear a challenge. You know, we, we hear about a cause. that Man, that is great. And we say, oh, I, oh, man, I wish I had more money, you know, to get to that. Because that's really worth it. But I can't. I can't. You know, there are going to be times in your life, a few times in your life, where God speaks to you and says, Yes, you can. Trust me. Trust me to make an investment in something that you will never lose, that has eternal value and significance. Do you believe that I can do that in your life, God has? Do you believe that Christ will give you the strength and that I, as God the Father, will give you the provision? Do you believe that? Do you have confidence in my promises to you? I can do that through Christ who gives me strength. Need to hurry on. Verse 14. Paul says, it was good of you to share in my troubles. 
as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in giving and receiving except you. You did. For even when I had moved on to Thessalonica and was preaching there, you sent me aid again and again and again when I was in need. Now, there's another principle. The Philippians gave again and again. And that's joy given number four. A commitment to give regularly and joyfully. You see, we get joy when we commit to Christ's kingdom and the work of the gospel. Uh, Don and I have just committed to, to give once a month. Uh, you know, most of us are paid every week or just twice a month or uh, once a month or whatever. And we just made a commitment. And you know what? I love doing that. Why? Because I love the joy of seeing young mothers come to mops in the back building, bringing their little toddlers and babies, and they're hearing the gospel. I love the joy of seeing families take their kids to Alliance Kids or parents taking their kids to Alliance Youth to worship and to hear the word of God. I love seeing men come to men's groups on Thursday morning, Thursday night. I, I love seeing the 40 to 50 of our neighbors who drive by our church on Monday morning and, and before they go to work, they pull in and they get a free cup of coffee and a free donut. But more than that, they get love, they get acceptance, they get prayer, they get friends. There are people who consider this Sarasota Alliance their church. They've never been to a service, but they've been to coffee. I love the joy of seeing students mentored at uh, elementary schools. Students who the parents aren't able to or just not giving them all the attention that they really, really need. And so on and so on. See, that, that's, that's people's lives that we're investing in. And that brings joy. The joy of committing ourselves to something that has eternal value and significance. Verse 17, the last one, tells us the fifth thing that gives us joy. Paul writes, not that I desire your gifts. Listen, he says, I'm not saying all this, so you'll just keep giving me more money. I care about your life. What I desire is that more be what? Credited to your account. There's joy giver number five, credit in your heavenly account. Uh, Americans were consumed with credit cards. We're consumed with our credit score. You know what's far more important? Our credit in the eternal account of God that he's keeping. You see, joyful people know there's a ledger in heaven that we can't see here on earth. But God knows. He goes on in verse 18. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They sent him another offering, see? 
and your offering is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and it's pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Joyful people know two things. Number one, God does care for his children. He does take care of them. He does provide. When we play it, when we wake up in the morning and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to pay that bill. I don't know how I'm going to get through this season of my life. But God, you are a provider and I trust you. God works. Second thing we can know is in verses 21 to 23. Paul writes, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. You greet the people there in Philippi for me. And I want you, I want you to know, Philippians, that the brothers and sisters who are here with me in Rome send their greetings. He was still able to meet with believers. They would come visit him. He would encourage them. In verse 22, this is awesome. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. He, there were Christians who are part of Caesar's household. The household was the, the children, it was the distant relatives, but it was also the servants, it was trusted members of his family. They were called the household. And obviously, or apparently, some of the very soldiers guarding Paul were also bodyguards for Caesar. And see, it, they were, Paul was actually chained to them during their shift. And you know what he did. He shared the gospel with them. And many of them came to know Jesus Christ. There were Christians in Caesar's household because he was imprisoned in Rome. And he's saying, listen, they want to greet you. And there's the second thing. Our giving brings joy because it changes people's eternal destinies. That's how those Roman soldiers came to know Jesus. Because of, their, because of Paul being there. And the Philippians, they didn't know them. But one day they'd meet him in heaven. And friend, you're going to have the same privilege. The greatest joy of all in going to heaven is seeing Jesus. But one of the other joys is we're going to meet people. We had no, we never met him before. We had no idea that we had any part in their life. And we're going to find out that we prayed for them, prayed for a missionary request. We, we served somebody. We didn't think it made any difference. We gave, and people came to know Christ in our community. But to the ends of the earth, and we're going to meet him, and we're going to find out the real story. And that's the joy. That's the joy. So we finish with the promise and the challenge. The promise is this. God wants to meet all your needs. And he's rich. He owns it all. And the challenge is this. Will we find joy in our finances? Handling all God gives us the way God wants us to. Let's pray. Father, help us. Money is a huge challenge, God. Huge. Very difficult. Very complicated. Trusting you, dear Father, to take care of bills and crises that we have no idea how you're going to do that, God, but you do. God, we want to trust you. Thank you for giving us everything we need. And God, we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you, Father. Father, help us to take the next step. 
You've spoken to me. You've spoken to all of us. You're speaking, God. And you want us to know more joy, more growth in our Christian life. And God, may we take that step and find your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.